This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. Hi, and welcome to Green Talk, a podcast series from GreenLivingIdeas.com. Green Talk helps listeners in their efforts to lead more eco-friendly lifestyles through interviews with top vendors, authors, and experts from around the world. We discuss the critical issues facing the global environment today, as well as the technologies, products, and practices that you can employ to go greener in every area of your life. Hey everyone, welcome to Green Talk Radio. This is your host, Sean Daly. Well, today we have the continuation of our GTR Green Blogger series. We'll be talking with Jennifer Lance. Jennifer Lance is the founder and editor of Eco Child's Play, found online at ecochildsplay.com, as well as being an editor and writer for several other environmental blogs, including reallynatural.com and our own, bluelivingideas.com and greenlivingideas.com. The focus of Jennifer's writing is on environmental issues, and specifically those centering around green family life. She lives on 100 acres off the grid, in a home built with her own two hands and several more skilled pairs of hands, she says, from forest fire salvaged timber. Her home is powered by a micro-hydro turbine, and she's been a vegetarian for 21 years. Jennifer graduated from Humboldt State University with a degree in art education and has been teaching art to children for over 16 years. So Jennifer, welcome to the program. Thank you. Well, so cool to have you on uh, because you and I have known each other through email for quite a while. And it's always funny when I get to meet people for the first time when I'm actually interviewing them for a podcast. Kind of an odd way to meet somebody for the first time over the phone. But uh, it, I think it's kind of fun because it's definitely an authentic conversation between us. Uh, we're, we're actually getting to know each other. Um, and I know that you've, uh, you're have you one of the longtime uh, environmental bloggers who's been out there really doing it. And, and I think not only in the writing side, but also in terms of your lifestyle. And mm-hmm. I'm really fascinated. I'd like to start off hearing about, I know that you've lived off-grid for some time, and I would just really love to share with uh, listeners that story of how you first came to uh, live off-grid and what that process has been like. Sure. Um, We first um, bought some property, and it was very primitive. We were living in a tent and moved up in the snow and lived in a tent for six months and realized our house, we were building a log cabin, and it was not going to be ready in time for winter time, and the property was up above 4,000 feet, so we needed a structure yeah. and a, um, <laughs> a home opened up for us to caretake that actually was on forest service land. And that house is off the grid. So we moved in there and we lived there for three years and with just one solar panel, uh, which my dad bought me for my graduation from college. <laughs> <laughs> so we had one solar panel and one DC light and a car stereo. And we lived like that for three years. There was a propane refrigerator and a, propane lights but we didn't like to use the propane lights because they just it's a weird glow and um plus we didn't like burning the propane now jennifer if you don't uh, mind me asking i'm just curious was this was this really a a conscious choice or was this something was you know i hate to you know pry but i mean was it was it was it driven economically or is it more about your own uh, sort of personal ethos about you know how you wanted to live your lives as a family yeah, we want, we have friends who lived off the grid, and a lot of the people in our community live off the grid. And so we, we wanted to live off the grid, and the property we purchased was off the grid. There was no chance of getting any electricity up there. So, yeah, it was a conscious choice. We knew we would be doing that, and the, you know, the home we moved into to caretake um, for the Forest Service and also a children's camp used it was 
was off the grid already. So um, it got us started with because we we didn't want to use the propane for anything other than cooking and and refrigeration and heating uh, water. So it got us started using uh, solar electricity at that point. And um, we started learning the limitations of solar as well, especially because we there were old growth cedar trees where we lived and there was not much sunlight and it was north facing. So we had very little power. And we started to look for a, a new piece of property to live on because we also realized that um, being snowed in for you know, five, six months out of the year sounds great when you're 20, but <laughs> <laughs> as you get older and you get a real job, it's not going to be so fun. Not so romantic anymore. Oh, so we realized we needed it. And we wanted to be able to grow food, too. And, and our growing season would have been really short up there. So we looked for another piece of property w with the thought in mind that we needed a microhydro system. And um, because that's making power 24 hours a day, it's not dependent upon when the sun is shining and wind is blowing. When... And... Exactly, you know. So um, we found a 80 acre parcel and bought that later down the road, we bought the other 80 acres that's next to it. That was a, a homestead from 1906. So it already had a lot of old fruit trees on it and um, the soil was really good. The rocks had already been removed from by homesteaders and it had a, a great creek on it that we would be able to use for our power. You have a number of people who live around you who are also uh, homesteaders. I know you mentioned some friends that sort of inspired you originally. Uh, are there a number of people in the area where you are that are doing this or is it just a handful? Um, I would say probably 30 to 40 percent of the people in our community live off the grid. Wow. They came in the 60s. They came through on the road I live on and did rural electric. I can't even say the word, offered electricity to rural uh, people. And um, only two people living on our road, and there's 10 uh, houses out it, um, chose to get electricity, and the rest chose to remain off the grid. So the, the properties, so there are a handful of properties that are that far out of our community that have electricity, but otherwise um, we're all off the grid. Hmm. So well, first I wanted to ask you, are you 100% self-sufficient in terms of energy at this point? So you're... you're Completely yes. generating, and well, I, I well, actually I knew that, but I guess the question was, do you ever run out? <laughs> do you ever? Yes, there there are times we have a generator for backup, and I hate to use it, I refuse to use it, <laughs> but there are times when our hydro goes down because there's a huge storm, and and or a tree falls and breaks the pipe, or something like that happens, and so there are times when, or we had a forest fire burn up our pipe too, and we had to replace that, so we were, we had to use a generator during that time to power ourselves, but. We don't run out in terms of um, having enough electricity. Such a different lifestyle that you're describing from what most people in the country and in the world are experiencing. Um, is, it, is it abrupt for you when you do go back to, I hate to say the real world, but when you go back to sort of people who are on the grid and living a more sort of normal, you know, suburban or even urban lifestyle, is that shocking for you? Um, or do you have very strong memories of that and it's not that strange? I do remember it, but it is strange in the sense that most people have become very, very energy conscious and they, they turn off lights when they leave rooms now. They don't leave them on anymore or they turn off heaters or televisions or whatever they have on. And actually in our home, sometimes we have to leave things on because we make too much power. And so that's kind of because our batteries are too full and we don't want them to be overcharged and explode or something. Mm -hmm. And so... Is that a real um, risk of them exploding? If they run 
if they run out of water, yeah, you have to check them to make sure they still have water in them because um, they could cook all the water off if they. Um, well, we have we have this. Our technology is kind of old. We have what's called an Enermaxer that is set that when the batteries are full, it burns off the excess power. It's just a heat shunt. And today, people use those sort of heat shunts to heat water or to put into a heater. They use them for an actual purpose, but ours just burns it off. And should if that has to work too hard, the the um, circuit or fuse in it can blow and then yes then it could be a problem so we we try not to let it work too hard by you know like we leave a light on all night <laughs> uh-huh. wow it's so i mean it's it's kind of <laughs> yeah a lot of people would think of like little house in the prairie you know uh, yeah. you know and not in a not in a demeaning way i don't mean that it's just it's very it's very quaint and charming and sort of refreshing and and it's, it's somewhat difficult to imagine. I have to say, I, I've never had that sort of lifestyle myself, so it's it's a little difficult to imagine. What are what are some of the describe a typical day uh, for your family? Well, you did ask if we were self sufficient with power, and I don't think I answered that. We we are as far as electricity, but not propane. Propane is often been called the dirty little secret of living off the grid because mm. um, we use it to heat water, so um, that thing to cook. So we use propane for that, but other than that, we are completely self-sufficient. So there's no so there's no convenient way to sort of get around that or inexpensive way to get around that. It's just uh, is that is that what the issue is? Yeah, our only options for cooking would be to use a wood cook stove, and you know, in the summer, obviously, that would not be you know you'd be heating up the house and that, or you'd have to have an outdoor kitchen and. Mm. And because of fire hazards, I just wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. Plus, it's it's hard to regulate and. Um, and as far as heating water, you know, a solar hot water heater gets it to a certain temperature, but not hot enough, you know, for taking a shower or doing dishes. So you need to use propane to heat it that little bit more. And, and we don't make enough electricity for an electric hot water heater or, um, you know, an electric stove. So uh, those are, that's the drawback. <laughs> mm. So I know a lot of your writing focuses on green parenting, and that's a very mm-hmm. strong, important topic for you personally. Can you talk to us a little bit about your experience there, uh, and both in terms of your, your writing, and maybe you can call attention to some of the, the blog posts that you've done recently that you find are most uh, valuable to you, but also just your own personal experience of how um, you know that, that's become an important topic for you. Well, it, it seemed natural to us that, like any family, you raise your children with the values that you have. And so our value, we have strong environmental values, and the, those are passed on to our children. And so we think, we, we've tried to make our children think about things like, where's the food coming from that they're eating? How many miles has it traveled? Or, or that toy that they want, what, what is it made out of? Where was it made? How far was it shipped to get here? And so um, my kids have gotten really good about they know how to use <laughs> our values when they're trying to convince us they want something. You know, look, it's made out of wood. It's, you know, <laughs> it's handmade. Really, right. we should get it, you know. Um, and my daughter sometimes has been difficult. Like when we go out to eat, she'll ask me, is this organic? And I'm like, no, it's not. But it's okay. It's not going to hurt you to eat it just once. So, so, so that's good. So, so you guys aren't complete sort of, you know, some people might imagine that that kind of lifestyle would be very restrictive and you might be like yeah. eco-Nazis that are saying, right. yeah, it, it sounds like they're actually stricter than you in a way. In yeah, that. they are. I think they are. And so, um, yeah, no, I mean, we want to be reasonable. <laughs> I have a, I have a good friend who was raised a strict vegetarian and 
to rebel like all children rebel when she was a teenager she would sneak out and go to mcdonald's and eat a hamburger mm-hmm. and make her mother angry so i don't want to create that kind of situation you know either that is a um, bit of a guarantee isn't it whatever we tell them to do they're going to pretty much end up doing the opposite so yeah <laughs> you almost have to use opposite day sort of reverse psychology as a parent to uh, be successful with your ends right right so yeah i don't want to be too strict but i i want them to understand and um the reasons behind our choices and um you know, and, and sometimes they see it and sometimes they don't. But like this year, my daughter asked me if she could have her own garden. She wants her own section of the garden that's just hers to grow whatever she wants into. And I said, sure, that's great. You know, that would be wonderful. That's great. Well, I want to hear more about your organic garden and some of your other writing. We're going to take a quick break right here, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking with Jennifer Lance. She's the founder and editor of Eco Child's Play, found online at ecochildsplay.com. You can also find Jennifer on Twitter as Eco Child's Play. And she's also an editor and writer for several other environmental blogs, including reallynatural.com and our own blue living and green living ideas.com. And we will be right back on Green Talk Radio. Back on Green Talk Radio, this is Sean Daly talking today with Jennifer Lance. She's a green blogger. She's also the founder and editor of Eco Child's Play, found online at ecochildsplay.com. Jennifer lives off the grid with her family, grows her own organic vegetables, and raises her family with green values. Jennifer, we were talking before the break about your off-grid lifestyle and uh, organics or vegetarian lifestyle and um, modern-day homesteading that you guys are doing up there. I wanted to talk, we were talking about organic gardening. I'd like to hear um, about your experience there. Well, every year it's different. <laughs> and, um, you know, some years I'm more successful than others. Like this past summer, I mean, much of Northern California was inundated with smoke from the forest fires, and I found it impossible to work in my garden So, for health reasons. And I was not as successful. But there, there, there are a few things that we're able to grow a year supply of, such as garlic and onions and um, other things. We winter gardening is actually my favorite. I love having kale all year, you know, all winter long, and broccoli and digging carrots out of the snow. I think it's just so much fun. Um, we have a lot of fruit trees, both uh, trees that were on our property when we purchased it and trees that we've put in. And um, you know, like right now, we're eating a lot of us. Asparagus. We could eat asparagus every night <laughs> yeah. in the garden. So it help, it helps us eat seasonally, and it helps my kids realize too that when they see a watermelon in the grocery store in uh, December, and even if it's organic, I ask them, you know, where do you think that was grown, <laughs> and how far did it, it travel to get here? That's not what we're meant to be eating right now. And and you know that's an interesting point, and I think that's amazing. It's so wonderful the way kids pick those things up and start asking those questions for you, because otherwise it's the land of eternally abundant. You know, it doesn't matter; it's coming from Chile or you know Asia right. or where. It's like, hey, we can always get blueberries and strawberries, and it's like, yeah, at some point that's uh, there's you know there's an impact to that, and and it's amazing how children um, pick up on that. Um, and I think also, and I wanted to hear your opinion on this that that our bodies are probably meant to eat different foods at different times of the year and that, that there's a sort of a grand plan there. It's not just a coincidence. I mean, do you, is that part I, of oh the yes. philosophy? I absolutely, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I think there's a reason why citrus ripens in the wintertime. You know, that's when our bodies need that extra little sea coming into them. And the reason the dark leafy greens last through the winter, the, the kale, you know, is, is there and I can 
cut it up and put it in anything. And my kids love kale because it's providing so, so many nutrients for them. And the other thing that's we have all winter is Jerusalem artichokes, which is they're really high in potassium. So we don't we don't have to get bananas from South America <laughs> to get our potassium. So, um, and then when spring comes, it's just such a delight with all the when the strawberries start ripening and in and all the fruit starts coming in in the fall i think there's a reason why there's so much food available in the fall for us to get ready for winter time for mm-hmm. our bodies that's yeah, so embracing the cycles and the seasons and the changes rather than sort of trying to fight them or circumvent them completely right and i mean we do do some things to extend our season in the garden you know with um frost protecting type things and we do grow lettuce in our greenhouse so we have lettuce in the winter time and and things like that but yeah in general it's living with the seasons well so now there's the there's the uh the the positive fantasy side of it right now i want to hear at least one frustrating dark or scary story from your homesteading experience picking Uh, one (laughs) the forest fire that we've had the past four summers three three forest fires have threatened our home the past four summers. One actually came onto our property, but we've been under mandatory evacuation twice now. And we've had a um, hundred of our 160 acres burn under a forest fire. So wow. that's scary. That's mother nature out of control fighting back. And there's really not much you can do about it. Um, there's no, I take it there's in. no water service fire. There's no fireman service out there. No fire trucks a, can come out. Well, there's a voluntary fire service department, and um, which we live ten miles from, and they and they're great, they're wonderful. But um, when there's you know a four thousand acre fire, or this summer we had sixteen thousand acre fires, the forest service comes in too, and the forest service has policies of back burning or burnouts where they actually light fires to put fires out, and you're you're at their whim because they come onto your property and they do what they're going to do and you have no say. And, um, you know, some of the stuff they do is great. Uh, they definitely protect property, but, um, sometimes you question what they're doing as well. Now in these experiences at any point, did you guys have the car packed and ready to leave? Were you losing oh, the fight? I had the car packed a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wow. the first time it happened, my son was only 12 days old. So I was like, I need, oh. I need to get out of here. You know, I can't have two, a newborn and a three-year-old child here. So I did pack the car. I didn't, I didn't really take photo albums or anything. I just was like, well, if, you know, it's here, it's here. And, and I, I thought positively and I left. And I took, I took a dog and, you know, I left. And uh, I kept calling our house to see if uh, we don't have a landline. We have a cell phone and it doesn't really work. But I figured if it kept ringing that, the house hadn't burned down yet, even if no one answered. <laughs> That's one way so to I find thought, out. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, the, so yeah. I, I, and then last summer I also did have the car packed and left when, um, because we've been through it before and saw how fast when the afternoons w- winds kick up, how fast the fire can travel. And, um, and last summer there were so many fires that there weren't, we were told we were on our own. So, I actually drove one day, and, um, you know, four hours to buy a fire pump and fire hose, and to, so we were prepared on our own to fight it as much as we could with friends' help. Wow, that's just a scary and amazing story. And then what's the most amazing about it is it's happened repetitively. You've had this happen yeah. several times, but that hasn't been enough to shake you off the property, huh? No. Well, we had you know 
10 years of living there before with no fire. So I, I'm not sure if it's because of climate change or, well, the first fire that happened, the one that actually came on our property was started um, because of PG&E. They had a tree that they hadn't uh, maintained around their power poles and it fell and arced on the, on the line and started a fire. So that was man caused, but last summer was lightning and that's just, you know, what happens. <laughs> right, it's part, it's part of it, but it's a, it's a very scary part of it though. Scary. Yeah. So were these values instilled in you as a child? Was this a way of life for your family or are you sort of the black sheep? I'm kind of black sheep. I mean, I, I credit my dad a lot because he took me hiking and I grew up in Ohio and he'd take me hiking in the Hawking Hills when I was little a lot. And I, I loved to go hiking. And, um, and he'd also take me to Colorado every winter time to go skiing. And so, um, you know, I spent at some point I realized, wow, you can live in the mountains. <laughs> you don't have to just visit them. <laughs> if you're very snow and, tolerant, yes. Yeah. And so, you know, I, 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 I used college as a way to move me out to the West. Uh. And, and, um, you know, so I, but, but they, I, I mean, I grew up in a suburb, a, a wealthy suburb, although my family, they're both teachers. So we, we couldn't compete with the, the wealthy people, but, um, and, my parents were, were, my mom's Republican and, you know, so yeah, I'm the black sheep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. It sounds like you would be there. Yes. Uh, interesting. So now I know that natural pregnancy is something else for you. I think you had natural yes. births each, each time with each of your children. Um, can you I tell did. us a little bit about that experience? Yeah. Both of my children were born with midwives. Um, there were two midwives attending one, one midwife attended both, but then one midwife moved away to back to Denmark. So I had a different midwife the second time as a, so they work together. So in case something happens to the mother and something happens to the baby, there's someone to attend to both, you know? So, um, I always feel like two midwives together is great. Uh, because we do live two and a half hours away from the nearest hospital, we didn't feel comfortable having a home birth actually at our home. So we rented, um, an apartment or, or a house over near Arcata on the coast to have our children in each time so that we were closer to a hospital. And, um, so yeah, throughout both pregnancies, I, I use pregnancy tea as my main source of uh, prenatal vitamins and both children were born in water naturally in a birthing tub. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, midwives provide so much care and I did do parallel care with the doctor in case I did need to transport to a hospital, I would have a relationship there and to have, I, I, re, I didn't have all the testing done. There's so much testing actually nowadays they want you to do with genetic screenings and things that I, I didn't have all that kind of stuff done because I thought, well, whatever I have, I'm going to have, it's not really going to change anything. And, um, but I, you know, I did basic blood work and things like that, that kind of testing. I think a lot of people, we went through a very similar experience in terms of natural birth uh, with both of our children as well. And I think a lot of people think that you're either, you know, sort of in the complete Western medicine program, giving birth at the hospital and being anesthetized and all these other things and Pitocin and the whole thing, or you're this complete sort of rogue putting your children in danger. There's a lot of uh, false thought out there, a lot of disinformation. And, And what you just represented, I think, is is uh, more representative of uh, that type of experience where you are straddling the line, you've got your backups, you have a relationship with the hospital, but your intention is if everything goes well and you know um, everything uh, goes as planned, that you get to have this different experience in this, in this home birth or uh, midwives assisting instead of being in a hospital environment. And, um, and I'm glad for you that, that it went well and you were able to have that experience. 
Yeah, me too. And, and prenatal care is really what I think is crucial because if you get really good prenatal care, then they're going to find out if there's a problem that requires a hospital birth most of the times. I mean, now, now in both of my cases, there, there were interventions because with my daughter, I, I hemorrhaged and bled heavily. And, and fortunately, I was in good care with my midwives. They were able to stop the bleeding and take care of me immediately. Um, and then with my son, he, um, he has a congenital heart defect. So we, we had to see, we saw the pediatrician that evening. We went in and met him in the office. So, you know, everything worked out fine in both situations, but there was a need for care. So I, I'm not, for me, I could never do an unassisted, uh, home birth, but, um, because anything can happen, but yeah. I know a lot of people do it and they're, and they're fine with it. So I think it really, yeah, I, I don't know about doing it personally, just from my own personal experience and, and, and I guess fears not having somebody right. there who's done this before or having, you know, in the, in the midwife uh, and nurse practitioners that are out there, uh, many of them are, are, I mean, equally knowledgeable with regards to, to, to the birth process to any doctor. Uh, they may not have the, the same entire medical background, but certainly in terms of birth and what goes wrong and they know where to sort of refer on to the doctor and bring doctors in, but they're, they're so knowledgeable. And I think having somebody, at least one person like that in the room, for me at least provided a lot of uh, relief and, and security and uh, confidence. Definitely. I agree. Yeah. Well, so now how did you, this is interesting because you're, you're, you're on little house in the prairie. <laughs> Sorry, but that's, I'm going to keep using that. And how do you get into blogging? Cause how do you get into the world of technology and, and blogging and all that? How do those paths cross? Well, I mean, it actually, the having the internet has removed the isolation that I felt living way out here because <laughs> now I have, you know, connection to the outside world. And so through uh, satellite internet connection is what I use. Um, I connect to the world and it was a way for me to share my knowledge. I, I enjoy it a lot. I really like writing and um, I was hoping it was a way I could work from home when my children were small as well because um, I didn't want to go back to full-time teaching. And um, so it, it helped me be able to do that. And, and I've just made so many great connections and met so many wonderful people that I, I, I love it. <laughs> but, and I mean, we, 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 live a, we live a semi-simple life. I mean, we're not so rustic and simple that we're, we are also modern, you know, and we, I have a dishwasher. <laughs> no, that's great. I mean, so it's like you can have a, a simple but modern life. It doesn't have to be going back to the 1800s. Right. I don't have to wash my clothes by hand in the bathtub or something. <laughs> that's the best of both worlds. I like it. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, what other modern conveniences do you guys ha have around the house that people may or may not be imagining? Well, like I said, the dishwasher, which is a big thing for people off the grid. Most people off the grid don't have a dishwasher, but we make enough power that we have it. Now, we don't do anything else when we're running the dishwasher. I'm not vacuuming or, or running the washing machine because it's using all our power. So, you know, that's what's on and we don't use anything else when it's on. But it sure saves a lot of time in the kitchen. <laughs> now, do you, lose, do you lose like street cred from the other homesteaders because of that? Or are you like, you know, oh, yeah. on, on the outside? Yeah, they make fun of us, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, because we actually have a little air conditioner too. It gets hot here, it can get 100 degrees, and so we have a little window air conditioner that we also run, and they're like, oh my gosh, you have an air conditioner and you live off the grid, <laughs> you know, and it just, it works well, and I mean, it doesn't make the house cold like people who have real air conditioning do, but it, it makes the house tolerable at least when it's 100 degrees out, so, but our house is heavily insulated too, so that helps as well keeping it cooler you know you can do a lot with 
here we have such a, a fluxate, fluxation of temperature that you open up all your windows at night and close them first thing in the morning and the house will stay really comfortable till about four o'clock just from trapping that cold night air in. Jennifer, for people out there that might be considering doing some version of this lifestyle, um, what, what kind of tips and recommendations would you have for those folks? Well, it, finding the right piece of property is really important and it takes time. And that was a mistake we made at first was buying those the 20 acres way up high on the mountain um, because the terms were good. We got it no money down and we could afford to, um, but it wasn't really practical. So finding the right piece of property is really important, especially if you're looking at a hydro, using a hydro. There, there really aren't that many pieces of property out there that are suitable for it. But a lot of people we know have like a hybrid system where they have a seasonal creek. So they run their hydro in the wintertime when the creek is flowing and in the summertime they're on solar. So, mm. you know, you can do that too. It's just more money because you've got two systems essentially. Sure. Um, but I think anyone can get started with growing a little food organically in their yard um, if they live in a town even or even in an apartment in some pots on a balcony or something. Uh, you, can, you can grow a little bit of your own food and just – and anyone can look at the choices they make about the products they purchase. You know, where where were they made? Who were they made by? How were they made? How many miles have they traveled to get to you? And it's always best to um, get locally made products if you can. Well, it's a beautiful uh, life that your family has constructed for themselves and a really inspiring story. Uh, whether people are considering it or not, it's just an amazing uh, life that you've created. And I think that the, the values that you live by and also share with people in your writing um, are wonderful. And we really appreciate having your voice out there uh, in the environmental blogger community uh, because you have made, I know, an impact on a great number of people. And so we are very honored to have you writing uh, for our sites and, and also with the, set, the writing you've done for Eco Child's Play and other sites. So thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your story. Thank you very much. It's been fun. Thanks as always to everyone listening in today. Remember, for more free on-demand podcasts, articles, videos, and other information related to living a greener lifestyle, visit our website at www.greenlivingideas.com. We'd also love to hear your comments, feedback, and questions. Send us an email at editors at greenlivingideas.com. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.